Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. I'm Pastor Jamie. I'm the Associate Pastor here at Valley Community Church. Good morning. How y'all doing? You're looking good. All bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, first service. I don't usually wake up real super early, but this morning I woke up early. I don't know if it was in anticipation of, of preaching or what. I was a little nervous. I'm not sure that God has something for us this morning. I was excited when I woke up. Were you excited when you woke up? Well, let's pray over the Word before we get started. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just uh, pray over the Word. Lord, that, Lord, it is your Word to us. Lord, it is the truth. Lord, there's no errors, there's no mistakes. Everything that's written in here is, is useful for us, Lord, to teach us, and to bring reproof and correction in our lives. Lord, I just pray right now that you show us how to follow you, Lord, how to be disciples, how to make this word come alive in our lives. I just thank you for everything that you're doing. I ask that you bless this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Pastor Dave uh, and family is in Michigan, so they're chilling out in some really nice, cool weather. You know, it's, it's like 70 degrees in the day and 50-something at night in Michigan, even in August. Man, that's, that's kind of my kind of place. <laughs> we were cooking on the beach on Friday, though. We went, we went to Nags Head and, and hung out down there. It was really nice. But today... I have the opportunity to talk to you about something that God has placed in my heart. And it's uh, a sermon that I've been working on a while. You know, the associate pastor has it kind of easy because he gets like six months to work on his sermon. Pastor Dave only gets a week. (laughs) So it's easy to be the guy that comes in and preaches this dynamic, awesome sermon when you got six months to figure it out. So God's been working on this, and hopefully it blesses you this morning. So discipleship is, is what God has placed on my heart, and subtitle, uh, what will it cost me? So what does discipleship actually cost? Before we get into the, the meat of it, I think it's kind of funny, because you know God, is, God has created us all very uniquely. Some people are very uh, spontaneous. How many people uh, are spontaneous, man? You just, you just like jumping into things. You see something and you go headlong and you just, you don't think of the consequences. You don't think of, you know, what's going to happen. You just jump into it head first. How many people, come on, raise your hand. Don't be shy. Look, I used to be a teacher, so I, I ask questions and you can respond and you can talk to me even, just not out of turn. No, I'm just kidding. It's, it's all right to laugh. Go ahead. Come on. So I'm a jumper. That's what I call people like that, a jumper, because I was in the 82nd Airborne jumping out of airplanes. So that type of mentality, that type of person is a jumper. They just jump into stuff. And then you got what I call tiptoers. They just like, (laughs) they don't jump into anything. They're like, no, yeah, that's a little cold. So it's really funny because I have five kids, and they're all uniquely different. But my oldest, Devin, he was the one that did the announcements. Devin was a jumper, even though he's very thoughtful, when he was a kid, man, he jumped off everything. He jumped off walls. He jumped off, 
he would climb up on top of his dresser and jump off, and he would get on the top bunk bed and jump off stuff. Man, he was a jumper right from the get-go. He, when we went to the beach for the first time, he might have been, you know, two or three years old, whatever. He didn't stop. He ran straight into the waves, right? You have a kid like that? Lauren, Ethan, same thing, man. They were jumpers. They weren't scared of anything. They didn't stop for anything, and I had to be on my toes at all times. So we were at the beach on Friday, and my youngest son is Aiden. He's eight. He's a tiptoer. He's eight, and he doesn't know how to swim. So every summer for the past, like, four summers, I've had him in the pool over at Billy George's whenever we go over there, have him in the pool, and he's, he's kicking his legs. And I'm like, man, keep your legs straight. Keep going, you know, keep going like this. And, you know, so he's been in the pool, but he just never has learned how to swim, and he's eight. All my other kids learned at four, five. So we were at the beach Friday, and he's, he won't go in the lake. He won't go in the, in the ocean, but he'll go in the swimming pool, and that's it. So Friday, I see him, and I'm, I'm sitting in my chair down on the beach, and he, he would run out there, and a, a wave would come, and he would look at it, and he would say, oh, Jesus, not today. And he'd, and he'd turn around, and he'd run back out. And so I watched him. He was giggling and laughing and having a good time, never getting in the water. So I'm like, so finally I said, Aiden, I said, I said you're missing the point, man. You, you're supposed to get in the water. He's like, uh-uh. I was like, Man, it's just water. Why, why are you afraid of the water and the waves? He said, I'm not afraid of the water and the waves. I'm afraid of what might be in the water and the waves. <laughs> so I took him by the hand. I said, look, I'm going to be with you. Come on. Just, just, just walk. He's like, uh-uh. And I, it took a lot of coaxing to get him to come out into the water with me. That's a tiptoer, man. He's got to feel it out. He's got to, no, I'm not sure about this. Not today. <laughs> well, a lot of us just jump into the kingdom of God. How many people, when, this is one of the questions I ask whenever I do my class membership. When you become a member, there's two questions that I ask. And one of them is, tell me about your salvation experience. Were you a jumper? Think about it for a second. Were you a jumper? Did you just jump in? Did you jump into salvation? You said, man, God brought you to that place. You said, yes, Jesus you repented, you turned the other direction, and you began to follow him, and that was it. You never looked back. You jumped in and never looked back. Well, that's not most of our experience, I don't think. I think a lot of us are tiptoers. <laughs> the repentance and the, the believing part we get, but the, the following part we don't, we don't necessarily get so easily. In Luke 9.23, it's kind of interesting. I think some of the struggle comes from this. So we really don't understand what we're doing. We don't understand what we're signing up for. So in Luke uh, 9.23, it says, and he, <clears throat> excuse me, wow. He was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Everybody say, deny self. Take up my cross and follow Jesus. That's tough. How many people like yourself? Man, you like, you like what you like. You like it when you want it. You like it hot. You like it now. You like it your way. That's me. 
Yeah. Well, when you become a Christian, deny self means that there's a denial here I don't think we, we quite understand. See, we, we hear the good things about salvation. It says, uh, you know, repent and believe in Mark uh, 1.15. It says, repent and believe and turn from your wicked ways and accept Christ and you're going to be saved and you're going to live in heaven for an eternity. And that feels good and we're all excited about that. Say, yes, we want Jesus. But then somebody turns around, has to turn around and say, well, but you also have to die to yourself. Everything, that, that video, your time, your money, your plans, your life, all have to be surrendered to Christ. See, this, this scripture is very interesting to me because it says two things. It says, deny yourself or himself, deny yourself and take up your cross. And I've heard that preached lots of different times and people make this second part about the cross, we understand denying ourselves, but the second part about taking up your cross daily and following me, I don't think we quite understand. I've heard it preached, it, it was, it's about, and they tie it back to denying, to your, denying yourself and dying to yourself. But in reality, I want you to think for a second, think first century. Think first century church. What was the imagery of the cross? Why would Jesus use the word that you have to pick up your cross and follow me daily? So think first century for a second. What would the image of the cross be? It's not self-denial. He's already said that. It's not laying down your wants, your desires, and all that. He already said that. The cross is actually, picking up your cross means that it's an image of death. It's an image of not just dying to your, your inward self, but dying to your outward self. It's a physical death. It is agony. It's being nailed to a tree and raised up and your legs broken and your side pierced. And it's, it's gruesome and it's horrific. And it was a real possibility for these early disciples. To take up your cross really means that you've got to be willing to die physically for the gospel. How many people want to do that? Sign me up. Man, if they had to use that in trying to win me to Christ, I don't know if I'd have signed up. I don't know if I'd have jumped in. I'd have been a tiptoe. I'm like, what about that? The cross, that's death. Denying yourself. That's everything else. That's all the stuff on the inside. You know, a lot of religions, I mean, I've studied religion, college. A lot of religions have this self-denial. They understand, and it's, it's, it's really understood across a lot of different religions. Self-denial. I mean, the ascetics, they go out into the wilderness, and they sit there underneath a tree, and they starve themselves, and they deny themselves shelter and all this other stuff, and they eat very minimal food until they reach enlightenment or die. To be able to, to separate yourself from anything that has meaning in this world, to follow a higher call, lots of different religions believe that. But, the, but Jesus was talking about something way different. He's not talking about going off into a monastery and sit there and, 
and chant and do stuff until you reach some type of spiritual enlightenment. He's not talking about going to a cave. He's not talking about going out in the wilderness. What he's talking about is living your life every single day, denying yourself, dying to yourself, picking up your cross, following him in front of your family, in front of your friends, in front of your coworkers and your loved ones. And it's costly. It's going to cost you something. See, salvation is free. And we get that, understand that. I don't have to do anything to earn salvation. But sanctification takes a little bit of cooperative, it's a cooperative process of becoming more and more like Christ every single day. Absolute surrender. In Matthew 11.30, it says, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. C.S. Lewis points out this uh, seeming paradox. On one hand, Jesus proclaims delight of discipleship, and on the other, the crushing cost. Well, which is it? Is it this horrific death that we might have? Is it denying and dying to ourselves, Or is it light and easy? Well, which one is it? See, it's a paradox. When I say jump in on the notes, it says jump into the kingdom of the upside down. See, God's kingdom is a paradox. If you want to live, you must die. Right? That's the paradox. Wait a minute. You mean I got to die before I can live? Yeah. Well, I don't see, I don't know why we have trouble with that, but we do. Because we want to, well, I know why, but because we want to hold on to ourselves. We really don't want to die to ourselves. Too painful. This is, I feel like this is one of the major uh, reasons people struggle with discipleship or lordship. This, this word's interchangeable, lordship and discipleship. Didn't know what they're signing up for. In John 12, 24, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears fruit, bears much fruit. John 12, 24. So Jesus describes this concept of death for life. He says, you have to go into the ground and die before you, it produces fruit. And I mean, I love farming. I love gardening. Anybody that knows me, they got the community garden out there. I got a garden at my house. I love gardening. I'm out in the garden all the time. It's amazing to me when you see a tiny little seed. And it's, it's funny because I hate wasting seed. I did square foot gardening for a long time. So I actually would, would do starters and I'd plant, you know, just specific seeds, a couple seeds per thing, and I'd get the plants going. And I hated, and if I planted 64 tomato plants if I, in my planter and they all grew, I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with 64 tomato plants? I couldn't throw them out. I couldn't throw them in my compost bin. I hated it because every single little seed to me was the potential of harvest. We understand it in agronomy. You've got to sow that seed. 
got to let it decay and it breaks open. And then all the genetic material that's inside that little seed, the myth, I mean, right, the complexity of what God has placed in that little thing just breaks open and starts doing its thing and, and you get a plant. And when the conditions are right, it produces 30, 60, 100 fold. It's amazing to me. And I can see the kingdom in all of God's creations, especially when it comes to agriculture. It's a paradox. It might seem like we pay a great price for salvation, but in light of the eternal cost of sin, which Christ bears for you, our new burden is light. God, Jesus says, let's make a deal. I'll tell you what. I'll give you my burden. I'll give you my yoke, and I'll take yours. But this is what it's going to cost. You give me all, no half measures, absolute surrender, absolute obedience unto death. How many people want to sign up? <laughs> How many people have already signed up? This is what people don't get about that second verse. He's saying something that is profound. What is Christ's burden? What is his yoke? What is so easy about it? And I, I never really thought about this until right in this sermon. Jesus was not saying, look, look, I'm going to make your life easy. You're not going to have to struggle. You're not going to have to strife. You're not going to have to bear your cross. You're not, that was not what he was saying. He was saying that we're going to exchange the burden of the law and the covenant of works for the, the covenant of grace. My burden is like, he came to fulfill the law. So I want you to think first century again. What were the Jewish people doing at that time? How were they living at that time? They were living under the burden of what? Roman rule? The burden of the law? Right? They were living under works, salvation. And to make matters worse, then you had the Pharisees interpreting the law. So if the law wasn't burdensome enough, then you had the Pharisees adding to it. They had over 600 laws concerning working on the Sabbath. For every law that was written in, in, this, in the book, Levitical law, they would add another 600 regulations. How many people know why they had a law that you could only take so many steps from your home on the Sabbath? You ever studied that? You ever thought that? Come on, some of the scholars out there. Because that's how many steps it took to get to the farthest tent away from the tabernacle. So when the, the you know, poor guy that lives way, <laughs> lives way out there in the outskirts, man, he's got a tent way out yonder when they were out in the, the Israelites were out in the desert. So he's way out here. He's got to walk all the way to the center to be able to, to worship God. In the, temp, uh, in the tent of meeting. So they measured it. 
<laughs> they measured how far it was from the furthest tent, how far that guy had to walk to get to the, the tent of meetings so he could worship God. And then they made a rule that said nobody can walk any further than that. So all you can do is walk there and back, and that's how far you can walk on the Sabbath. That's crazy. That's legalism. That's man taking the law and then adding additional burden to it. And Jesus rebuked the Pharisees sternly. He said, what are you doing? You've added more burden than necessary. You don't even know my father. He rebuked them hard. Because it was legalistic men that made the law even more burdensome. So Jesus comes along and he says, my burden is light. My yoke is easy. I'll exchange with you the requirements of the law for the requirements of grace. Now how many people want to sign up? (laughs) Yeah, you mean that I don't have to live under the weight and the burden of sin anymore? You mean my life-dominating sin, the power of it can be broken in an instant? Alan Ray, right? You mean that I can, I can walk in freedom and never have to worry about that again? Yes. Not tiptoeing now, are we? Self-righteous, legalistic men made it harder. Jesus says, come, let me take that away from you. Christ does not want to prune us in order to make us productive, pretty disciples. He wants us to hand over our natural selves. Man, in my mind, you know how you work your sermons out? Man, I was like, yeah, I'm going to get me a cross up here, and I'm going to have some stuff that says, you know, know, self, and I'm going to nail it to the cross and make this big spectacle and just shock everybody like, oh, he just nailed something to the cross. That's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to take everything inside you. Matter of fact, this is the craziest thing people don't really understand, is he doesn't even want you to be you. He wants to destroy. And this, I wrote this down. It says, I have not come to, uh, to change your soul. I've come to destroy it. To crucify it. Paul says, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives within me. See, he gives us a new self-identity, a new will, his will, the Father's will. He gives us a new um, personality. He gives us everything that he, spiritual gifts come alive. Gifting comes alive. Everything, the moment that the Spirit comes in on the inside of us, God breathes on the Word, it comes alive. Then all of our gifting, everything that God has created you to be comes alive. That's kind of scary. You mean that I cease? I have to die to myself? Yeah, that's what uh, the whole process is. From the moment of repentance and turning, then the rest of our lives we spend dying to ourselves and learning how to absolutely surrender to Christ and living it out with all those that we love. Jesus says you can't serve two masters. 
you will ultimately be in conflict between self-will and God's will. Oh, there it is. I have not come to torment your soul. I have come to crucify it. See, this is what happens. A couple of scenarios that I've, I've uh, noticed over the years. People will come to Christ. They might be jumpers and they might be tiptoers. But they come, and they'll do one of, one of three things that I, that I see that God showed me. One, they'll, they'll eventually, whether they're a tiptoer or whether they're a jumper, they might jump in like, they might jump in and see a wave like, oh, no, and come back out. They might be like tiptoeing like, oh, no, oh, no. Whatever the case might be, they're going to eventually accept the gospel. They're going to come in and they're going to say, yeah, I see the value. I see the reward of the gospel. I see, I see uh, grace. I see heaven. I see beyond this world. And I value that. And they, they will come and they will eventually receive the gospel and begin. They, this is what they'll do. They'll, Jesus will bring them to that place of repentance because I tell everybody that Jesus will bring you to the place of repentance. He's going to bring you to that place of repentance. You're going to get on your knees. You're going to ask Jesus Christ into your heart. You're going to, you're going to say the words, and then the Holy Spirit breathes on this word. It actually happens before, but he breathes on the word. It comes alive. You hit your knees. And then, and then you get up, and you go, in response to Christ, this is the direction that you were going. You repent, which means to turn the other direction. So you turn the other direction, and then it says repent and believe. And then faith builds on the inside of you, and you begin to walk. Whether it's a run or whether it's a crawl, whether it's a jump or a tiptoe, you begin to move forward. That's scenario one. That's somebody who understands the cost, values, the rewards. They embrace discipleship and is sanctified through their daily decision to follow Christ. Did you get that? You're sanctified through your daily decision to follow Christ, to become more and more like him. And they ultimately walk in freedom from the power of sin and enjoy God's grace in this life and the next. Scenario two, a person who half-heartedly embraces discipleship, but they live in torment, not knowing how to be free from life-dominating sin. I've been doing this a long time. Been a Christian a long time. Been a pastor, I guess, 10 or 12 years. And I've seen this happen a lot. People will come to a place of some knowledge of God, some faith of God. They believe, and they even repent. And they turn. But because of sin, because of burden, because of the weight of addiction, of, let's just, there's no real young kids in here, is there? Because, I hope you're old enough. Because of, because of pornography, because of adultery, because of lust, because of drugs and alcohol and addiction and all these other things that is part of the human condition, the weight of all that causes, this is scenario two, causes them to stop. So they got the salvation part. They, they re, have repented and they believe, and they, they turned and they begin to walk, but they're halted because of the weight of their own sin. 
How many people know what I'm talking about? And I see people sitting in church year after year, and I'm going to pick on you guys. Is that okay? Because if I pick on the ladies, they might hurt me. So I'm going to pick on you guys. I see men come into the church, and they sit there year after year, year after year. Yes, they believe. Yes, they have some measure of faith, but they're frozen because of hidden sin. They're frozen because they don't know what to do with their uh, gambling addiction. They don't know what to do with pornography. They don't know what to do with lust or all the other things that come along with it. But they can't leave because their wife's a Christian. She's on fire for God. They're stuck sitting there not knowing how to truly be a disciple, not knowing how to truly follow God because they're afraid if their wife found out what they were really thinking about or what they're really like or what they're really addicted to, that she would leave them. But for a family obligation or community or whatever reason, they sit in church Sunday after Sunday stuck in conflict, tormented, because they believe, but they have not died to self, they have not picked up their cross, and they have not followed Christ. Stuck in the middle. How many people want to live there? How many people have lived there? So I'm going to encourage you today. If that's you, that was from, (laughs) I know that was from God. But if that speaks to you, I got news for you. You can be free. You don't have to be stuck there. Walk in the light. Step in. Begin to pursue him. Lordship, discipleship. Find somebody that can take you down that road. Scenario three, and this was this just that one and this one both just break my heart because I've seen it over and over again. Third scenario: person has an understanding of the gospel. They have a measure of faith. They've asked Jesus into their heart. They turn. They begin to walk the road, but their burden is so heavy. Their struggles are so great that they just can't bear the weight of it. And they don't understand how to exchange it with Christ. So what do you have to do? If you're, I mean, if you've known anybody in that circumstance where their sin was so great, where they, they reach the end of the road and they say, or they have some type of recovery maybe, and then they relapse, like one of my stepdads. He said, you know, uh, one of my stepdads was an alcoholic, but he said, you know, how can God, how can this God that, you know, I'm trying to serve allow me to relapse, forget him, what do they have to do? If what they're living doesn't match up with what they believe, what do they have to do? Redefine what they believe, right? If you can't live under the weight of the sin and the burden that you're carrying or the trials that you go through, then what do you have to do? Find something else that will take away the pain. You have to redefine what you believe. And that's why so many people, and I'm, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm getting way on the limb here, but that's why so many people uh, in the homosexuality community say, well, this is just the way that God made me, or God doesn't exist, right? So you either have to redefine what you believe to be true, or you have to deny God's existence. 
Think about that for a second. If you can't, I mean, think about the people, and maybe you're one of them. Think about the people that have lived under the weight, the burden of the law. Because the, what the law brings conviction, right? It makes us aware of our sin. That's what it says, right? So we have the weight of the law upon us, and we just can't do it, man. We just can't get free. And I, and I hear that I'm, I can be free, but I don't feel free. I don't ever experience freedom. So if it comes to the point where I can't just do it anymore, well, number one, you're doing it on your own, own strength. But we turn. Just walk away. We do redefine. Forget family, tie, forget my wife, forget my kids, forget my parents, forget everything. I forget God. God doesn't even exist. You have to redefine what you believe, and that's what the world has done for whatever reason. Death to self, when fully realized, is the key to lightening our load. Freedom is found in the pursuit. When, we fully, embra uh, when fully embraced, you experience overwhelming peace. People fall away because they never experience true freedom, never embracing the paradox, death for life. Repentance, we've gone through this a couple times, but repentance is easy. Salvation is easy, it's free. But when we turn, this is the gospel of the kingdom of God. See, people shorten it. They say the gospel. They say the kingdom. But this is the gospel of the kingdom of God. Repentant belief. Stand up. Turn the other direction. Die to self. Embrace this walk of death to self. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. The great possibility that you may die, that you may lose your family. Alan Ray, can I use your circumstance for a second with your wife? Is that okay? Alan Ray's wife, I mean, he got radically saved, right? And what, how old were you? 55. Had lived a life not for God at all, right? Got saved radically, and eventually his wife said, look, I don't want to be married to a Jesus freak. And left you, right? Lost his wife. Think about that. I don't want to be married to you. Got Jesus all up inside you. Dying to sell. Becoming somebody different reborn in the image of Christ, I can't handle that. See it? Third scenario. Uh-uh, can't handle that. Stay away from me. Die to self with the knowledge that it, it might cost you everything. Pick up your cross. Has anybody ever carried a heavy load? When you're, I mean, when you got 135 pounds on your back and you're in 120 degree heat in the desert and you got a mission 
you know, we had a, a saying in the infantry, uh, too, too light to fight, uh, too heavy to move or something like that. It slips me for a second. I mean, because you've got like 135 pounds on your back, and you're trying to take an objective. You're trying to move forward, but you've got this heavy burden. So what do you do? You cast your eyes on the guy in front of you or in the, in the thing, and you just drive on. And you just drive, and you just drive, and you just drive, and you just drive, and you just drive. Doesn't matter about the pain. Doesn't matter about what it's going to cost you. You're going to take that hill. You're going to make that objective. That's what it takes. That's what uh, sanctification takes. To die every single day to self. It says daily, right? Pick up your cross. Cast your eyes on him. And man, it doesn't matter what it costs you. And you just keep moving forward. And then after a while, you know what happens? Freedom's found in the pursuit. The burden just melts away. Cares of this world just melt away. And pretty soon you find yourself walking in complete peace. When you wake up, you're like, oh man, this is the day that the Lord's made. You rejoice. You get a song in your heart. I remember one time just walking up the steps, the Holy Spirit hit me right before I got to like the second step from the top. I was like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, you know, the Holy Spirit comes on you. And, like, and you're like, I had to stop. I had to put my hand on the wall. I had to stop. And I just started crying. And you abide in him. You just, you just learn how to abide in his love. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. See, you learn how to get to that place where you're just being. You're abiding in him. You're abiding. Not struggling, not striving anymore, but abiding in him. And the weight and the burden taken off and exchanged that is the gospel of the kingdom of God how many people will join me in that if you're here and, and you haven't ever done that I'm going to give you a chance to today I'm not going to embarrass you I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand I'll give you something why don't we stand up this morning Can I have Taylor or Devin come to the piano time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, 
he bears much fruit. And apart from me can do nothing. I got those four scripture references on your notes. Take those with you. Pray over them. God has a plan for your life. And you might be in a place where your burden and your struggle is really real. It's heavy. Christ wants to exchange the weight of sin. He wants to exchange the weight of the law for freedom, for peace, for joy, for all the gifts of the Spirit. That's what I want for you as a pastor. I want to see Jesus in a tangible, real way lift the burdens. And for you to absolutely surrender who you are and follow after God with a passion that you've never even experienced before. So that you can know how to abide in him, that, that feeling of just, man, I don't have to struggle or strive anymore. Has Christ done it for me? That's my heart as a pastor. Close your eyes. Have my uh, prayer teams come. If you're here and you don't know Christ as, a, as your personal Savior, you don't, you've never been taught this. Or maybe you said, hey, I have a measure of faith. I've even accepted Christ or I believe, but I have not followed him. I have not embraced discipleship. I have not died to myself. I like myself too much. It's time to die so that you can be reborn. If that's you, just raise your hand. Nobody looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed. You've never asked Jesus into your heart to be your, your Savior. Raise your hand right now. Don't hesitate. Salvation is a free gift. Discipleship is costly, though. But the reward is great. If you've embraced salvation and repentance, you believe, but you've never made Christ Lord, and you want to do that this morning, just raise your hand. Now is not the time to be a tiptoer. Jump on in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're all family here. Lord, I just pray right now that you just move on our hearts, God. Let us accept the call. Let us not look back. Let us be worthy of the call into which we've been called to move forward in faith day by day, dying to self, embracing the cross, if that's what it requires. Willing to die, inward and outward. Just breathing in your grace. 
sing in your praise. Lord, as we go this week, I pray right now that every single person here has a, has a divine appointment to share their faith with somebody, to share the message of the kingdom of God, to say Jesus came, he reconciled you back, made a way to reconcile you back to the Father, to set you free from the law. All you have to do is believe. All you have to do is say yes. And then everything that we learned here today divine opportunity right now, God. Let it come their way. Let them share their faith in some way. Make a difference in the life of another person. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.